The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Support for this show comes from the National Wellness Institute, committed to providing the tools, trainings, and resources to propel your career in wellness. Become a member today at nationalwellness.org. From Spirituality and Health Magazine, I'm Rabbi Rami, and this is Essential Conversations. Our guest today is Radha Agrawal. She's co-founder, CEO, and chief community architect of Daybreaker, a global early, early morning dance and wellness community with over 500,000 members. She's also the author of a new book called Belong, Find Your People, Create Community, and Live a More Connected Life. MTV called Rada one of the eight women who will change the world, and Spirituality and Health magazine names her as one of the top 10 spiritual leaders alive today. No pressure, Rada. <laughs> a profile of Rada appears in the November-December issue of Spirituality and Health magazine. Rada Agrawal, welcome to Essential Conversations. I'm blushing and I'm she- <laughs> feeling a little sheepish, but uh, uh, thank you for having me, Rabbi. Well, you're lucky it's radio. We can't tell you're blushing, so... <laughs> You don't have to worry about it. I want to jump in because it's a you know short conversation. I want to start uh, with a couple of definitions. Very early in Belong, find your people, create community, and live a more connected life, you write this, I'm quoting you. Ultimately, my goal is to give you the blueprint to build and nurture your own community from scratch so that you find happiness, fulfillment, and success. Close quote. So whether or not readers of your book actually achieve that goal is up to them, but help us understand your goal by defining what you mean by happiness, fulfillment, and success. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, um, and a a quick study to share, you know, Harvard came out with a 75-year longitudinal study where they looked at um, 750 individuals and followed them for their entire lives only to find this one single result, which was the key to a happy, healthy, wealthy life is relationships, meaningful relationships, and that's it. And I found that out for myself as well. Um, as I sort of, um, sleep, sleepwalked through my twenties and at 30 years old realized when I looked myself in the mirror, I realized I didn't belong. And, you know, that whole entire trajectory, um, of my life going from feeling of 
not belonging um, to belonging and then finding my stride in my community to then find uh, what I wanted to do and be passionate about, find love, find all of sort of the health and wealth um, that I thought I could achieve by putting my head down and working, I achieved with community. And so, um, you know, the blueprint that I share in this book is really hey, we have prioritized all the wrong things for so long, money, power, fame, right? We've, we've prioritized romance over friendships. We've prioritized work over friendships. And it's really time to recognize that belonging and community is by far the most important backbone of our lives that will then lead to everything else. So, you know, the this, this study that you cited from Harvard puts relationship at the core of things. Yet, when you look at American society, and this is obviously a generalization and, and it's broad brush, but when you look at American society, I wonder if we really get a sense of what relationship is. It's sort of like with Facebook, we have these fake friends. Totally. Oh, okay, so me, at least it's true for you and I. So maybe, <laughs> you know, you, you and me, we, we have fake friends. I don't, everyone else is going, no, my friends are real. My friends are real. So, you know, but, but I, I tend to think that A, the friends are fake, and B, the life that they portray on Instagram, Facebook, is this incredibly fake happy life that everything is so perfect and i so so everyone's pursuing happiness we've got these fake friends who are pres pre presenting us with these fake lives and we're all miserable right what what do you think it takes to break through that well first is recognize that this country celebrates rugged individualism right going against the grain right? It, it disrupt the norm, right? It's all these sort of um, mantras that we hear every day is, um, is, is be your own person, build your following online, and you will be successful and happy. And that has been ingrained and indoctrinated in us for so long that we have forgotten actually that humans are the strongest and we're at the top of the food chain because we are the best at collaborating. We're the best at connecting. We're the best at skill sharing. We're the best at teaching each other past mistakes, though we often make the same ones over and over again. Um, but, but I think step one is to recognize what are we celebrating? How have we been raised? And how, why, you know, why are we pursuing this singular path of me, 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 instead of this beautiful dance between me and the we, right? So, um, so I, think, I think step one is just to recognize why are you pursuing sort of the 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 idea of success and happiness that you currently think exists and and can you actually take a step back and and take an audit of when were you, when you were happiest in your life when you felt most connected to the world when you felt most fist pumping to 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 life and and um the world that you're living in and and what, what you'll realize very quickly is that, wait a minute, I was happiest when I was you know, a kid at a birthday party, when I was riding my bicycle with friends, when I was playing in the park with community members, when I was at church or at synagogue with, with community members and friends. It's, it's when we're in tribe, when we're in community, when we're with our people that we actually feel the happiest. And all of a sudden, when we go to school and we start being graded and we start being, you know, sort of start competing with one another, we start being fed all of this sort of I guess, American kind of ideals of, of go at it alone. Um, all of a sudden our, our, our values shift and, and it really is time that we get back to 
hanging out around the fireplace, dancing together, sharing stories and, and eating, eating together. You know, what's interesting is, I mean, what you're saying is somewhat subversive given the normative American lifestyle, but you say it using the vocabulary of that lifestyle, happiness, fulfillment, success. You're saying, you're, you're, you're not saying don't pursue happiness. Don't look for personal fulfillment. Don't worry about success. You're saying, no, no, do all those things, but redefine them. I mean, I'm putting words in your mouth, so you can, you can correct me, but redefine them so that they become communal as opposed to radically individual. That's right. That's exactly right. So I'm wondering, get your take on this, because you, you said that you know, people are at the top of the food chain. So there's nothing, you know, being on the top of the food chain, there's nothing that eats us. We eat everything. But then we end up, you know, devouring one another. And I'm wondering if, what kind of community can we create that doesn't end up being, um, I hate the word dog eat dog, because really that's not my experience with dogs, but that doesn't create this self-devouring community. So how, how do we create a community that's loving and supportive, um, even, even as we're looking for these, these goals of happiness, fulfillment, and success. Sure. So, so belonging really starts with a journey of self-exploration. It starts with yourself, right? So really the first half of my book actually isn't about building community on the outside. It's really building community with yourself. It's how to belong to yourself. And, and so before we sort of eat each other um, or, or we eat each other because we feel sort of this disconnection with ourselves first, because we've been living again so long uh, for what we believe the world wants of us without actually spending the time to get to know ourselves, right? And and so going inside, I call it a journey of gentle self-exploration because and gentle self-awareness because um, sometimes awareness and self-exploration can be pretty harsh. It can feel harsh, but if we're just gentle with ourselves and we can begin sort of taking a little bit of an audit, how am I showing up in the world? How am I, you know, who am I spending my time with? Um, how I prioritize friendships and community, how I spent the time being intentional and writing down the qualities I'm looking for in a friend, you know, are we, are, am I doing that personal work of getting to know who I am? Have I actually drawn out a trajectory of my life, of my history, you know, to really see when was I happiest? When was, you know, when, when was I running away? When was I playing it safe? When, you know, all these questions that we don't often ask ourselves because we're living in this sort of world of, um, you know, 24 hour news cycle where we're constantly looking at what's next or what's present instead of really learning from our past. And so I ask you to take this time to get to know yourself, begin to belong to yourself so that you can actually see, oh, wait a minute, I'm calling myself introverted because whenever I go outside, I'm hanging out with people who exhaust me <laughs> because <laughs> I'm, I'm looking for people in all the wrong places. I haven't taken the time to ask myself, what do I value? What am I good at? What am I interested in? So we spend our time hanging out in places that exhaust us or that deplete our energy instead of spending the time first getting to know who we are, what we want, what we value, what we're interested in. So that when we go out and we go to those places, all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, I'm so energized by this conversation. I'm so energized by this community. I'm so energized by, by the people who are now giving me energy back, right? Then all of a sudden we realize that the self-labeling that we do and that, that puts us in straitjackets it's really that it's, it's, we label ourselves because 
we are exhausted and, and we want to hide and, or we, we, you know, we, we don't feel comfortable or we feel socially anxious. So we call ourselves that because we're not taking the time to get to know who we are so that we can show up with the authentic version of ourselves, radiating the real us. Instead, we're faking it so often. We're faking it all the time. And so um, I think step one to, to breaking this sort of fake life that we put online and the, you know, all the sort of lack of belonging that, that exists from the white house all the way down to um, just, I mean, frankly, every single social issue that we're facing today ladders down to our lack of belonging, political polarization, gun violence, anxiety, depression, opioid epidemic, obesity epidemic, you know, obesity, you don't, you wouldn't think that our lack of, of, of relationship, positive relationships can lead to obesity. But in fact, another study has, has shown um, that that having poor social ties is as harmful to your physical health as being an alcoholic and twice as harmful as obesity. So, so you know, our, our loneliness is actually killing us. And, and yeah. So, and I guess so, you, people, I, I just want to underline something. And you're saying that good quality social ties depend on you understanding who you are so that you can show up in the right social situations. That's right. That- and, and show up, yeah, and, and show up in the right social situations, but also show up with the strength of knowledge of, of, of knowing who you are and what you want and what you value and what you can bring to your community. I have you do this VIA chart in, in my book as an exercise where I have you, VIA stands for values, interests, and abilities. So you draw out, like, what do I value today? Like, I'm eight and a half months pregnant right now as I'm speaking to you. And, um, and so my values have shifted from, you know, sort of um, being more kind of boorish and out there. And, and I, and I want to really kind of um, focus on, on success or whatever that means, but to now family and community and deep connection and um, education, you know, my interests have shifted from, you know, partying all the time to, to, you know, to uh, one of, of, of interested in parenting and interested in family and interested in, in how do we raise the next generation to be beautiful. So our values and our interests are constantly shifting and, and then asking ourselves our abilities, like what are we actually good at? Not in, in terms of, you know, getting a job, but. Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24 through 26. Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. What are we good at in, in terms of bringing to our community? Are we good at taking out the trash? Are we good at cooking? Are we good at gathering people in, 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 in wonderful spaces? Are we good at bringing musical instruments? Are we good at sermons? Like what, what are, you know, what, what can we bring to our community that will make them feel a connection to you? You know, an example given my, in my book is, is, um, is uh, just something as simple as like, you know, I brought gold stars to um, the hospital when my fiance's father was, was, uh, was in the hospital. And instead of just saying, Hey, thanks, or, or kind of sitting in the morbidity of, of, of the hospital environment, um, you know, every time a nurse came into the hospital room, Eli and I gave um, gave the nurses and the doctors little gold star stickers. And by by you know by the second third hour, 
they were competing each other with each other <laughs> for how many gold stars they had on their badges. And they loved coming into our room to, to service our needs. And, and something as simple as that, you know, that we brought to the hospital experience. It's, it's what can you do to bring, bring something of value to your community that's not just complaining and backseat driving, right? Um, and I think it's also time that we stop throwing wine and cheese parties alone. Like we have these casinos, these scintillating incredible devices in our pockets that are constantly improving with new exciting imagery and, and, and a world inside of it. So when we, you know, we can't keep doing the same things in the real world, we have to continue evolving the way we gather as well. So, you know, in a, in a synagogue, how do, how are we opening the door to our, to our community members or constituents? Is it just, Hey, go and have a seat or can we offer them a, a poem or a quote or an, an orange slice or, or some sort of a question that they can ask each other while they're there on their way out. We remember entry and exit rituals um, the most in any gathering. And yet we're still so blindly gathering people. And, and, you know, when we, when we have them in our homes. So, so the question is, can we take the time and effort and energy and think about every touch point of the gathering? So I started this community called Daybreaker just an early morning dance community. We're in the 25 cities now uh, with a community of half a million people. And we grew because, not just because we were throwing dance parties, but because we were so intentional about every touch point of the gathering experience. Like we weren't just throwing dance parties. We thought about the entry ritual. How would someone be greeted at the door instead of with a mean bouncer, like a, at a typical nightclub, we replaced them with a hugging committee. So we had someone hugging you at the door. We even had hugging workshops, you know, so you're not quite as creepy when you hug. Um, we had exit rituals where we stopped the music, you know, 15 minutes before the, the dance party ends and we had everyone sit on the dance floor and we had, all kinds of motivational speakers come, singer songwriters, and then we would all read a poem or an intention card together as a community. Like imagine a thousand people um, reading a quote out loud together as a community before they, after they gave so much of the dance, or after they danced and sweat and were merry and, and, and were joyful. And then we ground them in this community moment so that when they leave, their hearts are wide open. They're so ready to receive, they're so ready to give as well. And, and, you know, that intentionality is where we need to go. And, and that's how we've grown so fast without any marketing dollars. We've, we've really thought about the, 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 the feeling, like what I call the, you know, the, the that exhale of I'm home, right. Mm -hmm. Instead of focusing on the concept of community, because community can be used today as quite, quite a buzzword, right? It's, it's, you know, my community, this community, but community can be lonely too. I could be part of a, uh, I could be wearing a, a Packers jersey, you know, or New England Patriots jersey sitting in a crowd of 100,000 fans, but still feel alone. Well, you know, one of the things that, I mean, it seems to me what, what you're describing is what religion used to do or could, could do, but no longer does. I mean, you, you say in the book, uh, and again, this is a quick quote, building a community is one of the most important, generous and creative acts a human can aspire to. But listening to you right now, it, it, I think there's, I, I need to add a clause saying, but don't set out to build community, set out to do something together, to dance together, to look at the, the entry points and the exit points and community will happen in and of itself. Is that, is that fair to say? That's right. And like, we literally, um, we never tried to, to build this movement of dance in the morning. We, we threw the first event in New York city 
our community came. We were that intentional. The very first one, we had the intention ceremony. We had the ritual entry ritual. All of that was there. Ritual is so critical in sustaining community over time. But so by, so by the second one, we had double the number of people. By the third one, we had 600 people. And then the third event, someone came up to me and said, hey, I've been in the first three events. This has really been so transformative for me. I'm moving to San Francisco and I would really love to bring it there. And then I was like, oh, okay, cool. So um, this is interesting. We're going to, we're going to, I guess we'll, we'll try this out. And so I spent a few weeks writing a community playbook for how to, you know, what exactly we did, how we gather our community, all of our sort of um, every touch point of the experience. And, and then, you know, I wrote a 75 page playbook and, and then I trained her on it and, and then, and, and two of our amazing community catalysts in San Francisco then launched it there. And, and to this, to this day, it's, it's, um, our second largest city. We have, you know, 40,000 community members in San Francisco alone. And, and then from there we grew and grew and, um, and here we are today. So, so let me, I, you know, I had a whole bunch of questions that I wanted to ask you, but I, I'm going to put those aside and we may or may not get to them because you're eight and a half months pregnant. Not that I expect you to give birth while we're talking, but you weren't, I, my guess is you weren't pregnant when you started writing the book. So how does your, I mean, do you have, how does your sense of community change? What kind of thing do you imagine yourself doing to create community with, uh, you know, families with, with newborns or infants. I mean, my, just really quickly, my son and daughter-in-law have a almost, well, he'll be next month. He'll be three years old already, but they're always looking for community and there isn't, I mean, it's too bad. There's no, there's no uh, daybreaker, you know, dance community for parents with their little babies. I will Um, tell you that they can actually come. I mean, daybreaker is, we have so many kids, so many parents coming to our events um, now as well, because our events are sober no alcohol is served. So we have little babies coming all the time. So please, all, all, all moms are welcome. We have lots and lots of moms coming um, and dancing it out with their kids and, and, and have the kids in that level of happiness and joy and experiencing that um, self-expression is, is actually very important early on. Um, so so I, is, it, is it just for moms or dads also? Dads too. Absolutely. No, okay. we're, yeah, it's absolutely. It's, it's, um, it's, we're, you know, our community is, you know, 70% women, 30% men, but I always say the men are a wonderful, uh, the type of person who wants to wake up at 6am to dance with reckless abandon is a very, very special human. Um, <laughs> but what I did, you know, when I, as an eight, I'm eight and a half months now, but, but about four and a half months ago, I realized that I just didn't know the first thing. I'm 39 years old. I'm about to have a kid. And I, I don't know the first thing about parenting. Um, and, and how can that be that we're not taught how to be parents early on um, in, in our lives? And so and just instead of buying all the books or, or, yeah, to your point, just feeling sort of lonely in it, um, I started this group, this WhatsApp group called Modern Mamas. And I invited 15 women who are, you know, badass women who I knew um kind of like not, you know, not well, well, but I just invited them in and I said, Hey, um, Hey ladies, you know, my, you know, Rada here, I just wanted to invite you to, um, to really connect and, and, um, and share stories, share skill, share, you know, what are the things that, you know, you need, we need, how can we, you know, yeah. How can we share resources? Um, and then I started, I just started by saying, Hey, you know, how can I get my partner to understand me in this first trimester? what were some of your strategies? 
And my gosh, I got, you know, it was just pages and pages and pages of responses of women um, sharing, emotional sharing, skill sharing, resource sharing. Um, and now we're about 40 women, um, you know, about 40 women now in the community. And we've met three times, once a month in person. And it's just been an incredible life-changing community that's given me so many tools to bring back home to my partner, um, so many tools to bring to the birth of my child. I now have a deeply connected community of, of mothers. I've, there's already three babies that have been born in this community in the, in the four months that we've launched it. So I, I really recommend that anybody who's out there, it's just the courage. All these women who have three-year-olds now who are on the thread as well, who I invited, they said, man, I wish I would have started this group when I was you know, in, 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 in my baby was in the utero, so I wouldn't have felt this lonely. Um, so, so it's just literally about taking that initiative. I'll finish with one story. I know you have to, we have to go and wrap this up, but my mother who's 70 years old, you know, she, um, doesn't speak you know English very well. English is second language. She's Japanese. And, and she moved to Baltimore three weeks ago. This is a true story. Maybe a month ago. Um, and she didn't know a single person there. And she, said, uh, instead of sitting at home and, and Netflixing and chilling and, and woe is meing, um, she wrote a handwritten note that said, hello, my name is Mire Agawa and I'm Japanese and I was, I'm looking for uh, Japanese lady friends. Um, and if you'd like to be my friend, here's my phone number, signed Mire. And she drove it to the closest Japanese restaurant in the neighborhood and gave it to the general manager of the restaurant and and said to him, you know, um, if there's any l- nice ladies here, can you please show them this letter? And um, and the following week, her phone did not stop ringing off the hook. And, <laughs> and having these play dates ever since, and she's just blissed out. And it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how young you are. It doesn't matter if you're going through pregnancy, you're going through a divorce, you're going through any inflection point in your life. It's never too late to start over. It just takes courage. It takes um, it takes patience and, and a deep amount of intention. You know, that is a perfect place to end, and I'll just have to sit with all the rest of my questions. Our guest today was Radha Agrawal. She's the author of Belong: Find Your People, Create Community, and Live a More Connected Life. And she's one of spirituality and health's top ten spiritual leaders. And I think you can tell why now. A profile of Radha appears in the November-December issue of Spirituality and Health magazine. And for more information on her work, please visit her website, radhaagrawal.com. Radha, thank you so much for being with us on Essential Conversations. Thank you so much for having me, Rabbi. I really, really appreciate it. Support for this show comes from the National Wellness Institute, committed to providing the tools, training, and resources to propel your career in wellness. Become a member today at nationalwellness.org. Before we sign off, let me remind you that this year is the 20th anniversary of Spirituality and Health magazine. As part of our celebration, I'm leading an interspiritual tour of the Holy Land. This is part tour, part pilgrimage, as we engage in contemplative practices linked to the various sites we will visit, Jewish, Christian, Muslim, and Baha'i. For more information, please visit us at spiritualityhealth.com backslash holyland hyphen with hyphen Rami. Essential Conversations with Rabbi Rami is a project of Spirituality and Health magazine. Please log in to spiritualityhealth.com to subscribe to the magazine in print or digital formats. 
and to download the iTunes app for this podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave us a review. Essential Conversations is produced by Ezra Baker, and our program coordinator and executive producer is Alma Tassi. I'm Rabbi Rami. Thanks for listening. Hello, I'm Dr. Stephen Farber, and I am an author, teacher, psychotherapist, and shamanic practitioner. On my podcast, Healing for Your Soul, I welcome some amazing guests and introduce you to some healing techniques like earth magic, working with nature and animals, and really getting to the heart of what is keeping you stuck. I want to help you deepen your spirituality and let go of blocks that are holding you back. Let me help you in this journey called life. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network. Subscribe and follow wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode.